Good day and welcome to the Nick Neal podcast. Hello, everybody. Uh, nice to meet you all. My name is uh, Nick Neal. Not my, not my true name, obviously, because uh, you know. I don't want people um, following me down the street, as it were. And um, doing what people people do these days. What do they call it? Words completely escape my mind, but anyway. When people, uh, you know... I want to say track you, but uh, I'm not a wild animal. Never have been. Well, when I was younger, I was a bit wild, I suppose. But, uh, you know, I, uh, I got better. It's a funny thing, really, isn't it? We don't really let people be wild these days, do we? Do you know what I mean? I think it's like there's something wrong with it, you know. Did we ever? Did we ever let people be wild? I mean, I'm not talking about being wild in a sense of, you know, uh, I don't know having sharp teeth and going around like a wolf or something like that. I mean, that's a bit too far for me, but what about, you know, just letting your hair down a bit, what's left of it in some cases, letting your hair down and uh, just trying to see where you go. I think about that a lot. I have a lot of time to think about these sorts of things, you know. Being wild. I mean, look, I'm putting on this voice a little bit. This is my real voice. It's not the way I really normally talk. It's a character. It's a character that I've developed. Uh, it's sort of reflective of how I'm feeling today, really. A bit sort of... Not exactly down in energy, but, you know, kind of... I don't know. A little bit... You know, like I've lost my, uh, my gumption. A lot of you will be familiar with that. I mean, particularly in this day and age, you know, we've got this war going on, haven't we, in Ukraine. It doesn't affect me that much, though, because I don't live in Europe, you see. I don't live in Europe. In fact, I probably live probably about as far away from Ukraine as you can get, I would say, more or less. Because I live in South America. 
Specifically, I live in Colombia. Colombia, as soon as I say that name to people, they, they have a number of reactions, but mainly it involves sniffing. Yes. Sort of a... Representative, of course, of the uh, one of the principal exports of Colombia, even to this day, which is cocaine. Colombia exports cocaine. Yes, it does. Not legally. What I mean is that they sort of smuggle it out through the ports. And then into wherever it's going. It might be Europe, might be United States, uh, anywhere really, where uh, people, you know, like to sniff. It's a big problem, isn't it? It's a big problem. Big problem for Colombia because we are probably one of the, if the, if not the, biggest exporters of cocaine and also cut flowers interestingly if you didn't know that big exporter of cut flowers it's one of the advantages of living in the tropics you've got this fairly consistent um, temperature sunlight reasonably consistent moisture not so much but um, it provides that sort of conditions that you really want for uh, for growing things, you know, whether it be flowers or whether it be the cocaine, the cocaine, cocaine leaf, I think, or bud or flower. What people may not realise is that cocaine leaves have been chewed in Colombia for years. Because in small doses, cocaine in the leaf gives you a little bit of a lift and enables you to deal with the change in altitude you might experience while you're walking up from the uh, from the valleys of Colombia, where it's hot, up into the mountains where it gets a bit cooler. I uh, live in Bogota. Bogota is 2.6 kilometres, roughly, above sea level. Which, to put that in perspective, I'm going to put it in perspective for English-speaking people. In fact, to be more specific, for people from England or Scotland or Wales or from the British Isles, shall I call it that, or from Britain and from Northern Ireland, because I don't want them to feel left out. Sometimes I think they do feel that way. The tallest mountains, anyway, in any part of the UK are around about... A thousand, thousand two hundred meters. So where I am living, in fact, where I'm speaking from at this very moment in time, is more than double that. So you might think, well, it must be really cold up there, but no, it's actually very nice. Tropical weather, you see. If I was down by the coast now, it would be about thirty degrees heat, something like that, and I would be absolutely boiling. In fact, you don't even have to go to the coast. In Colombia, there's a place called Onda. H-O-N-D-A. Onda. Which has nothing to do with the... Uh, is it Japanese? Yeah. 
Japanese bike and now car manufacturer now. Honda, which I think I believe in Spanish means literally a dip. Honda is um, the lowest point in Colombia, I believe, and it's actually below sea level, which you might think, well, surely it's be flooded. No, it's so far inland that even though it's below sea level, uh, there's no sea to speak of. So Honda is very, 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 very deep. And it's very hot as well. It's like a little bowl, you know, a, a sort of a bowl where the air doesn't move around very much. And there, the temperature gets to 40 degrees, typically. And I visited there many years ago, and I can tell you, I honestly felt that I was melting. I felt like I'd melted onto the floor and somebody would have to scoop me up with a bucket and put me in a cold refrigerator for three hours to reassemble myself. That's how hot it was. I hope you're getting a, a picture of, of Onda. So I've lived in Colombia for 13 years now. 13 years, and like I say, this is not my real voice. This is a voice I am affecting. I think that's the right word. A voice that I'm putting on in order to, uh, I suppose, make myself appear more interesting than I actually am. Because, of course, none of us is interesting, are we, really, deep down? I understand that many uh, what they call stand-up comedians are quite insecure about themselves. They get up on stage because they want love. I think that's just a bit of a jumped up theory. I think we all want love, don't we? Some of us are scared though. Very few of us would get up on stage and speak to people, you know. I've done that though, you know. Previous years of my life I've been very active as an actor. I don't know why we say actor, by the way. I mean, it's spelled that way, actor. But I've, I'm sure there was a time when I said actor, actor. But I say actor all these days. Um, yes, I used to do a lot of acting um, many years ago. I keep saying many years ago, let's be specific. So around the time of the 1990s and moving into the 2000s, I did a lot of acting. And this acting, when I was living in the beautiful, the beautiful southwest city of Bath. Or is it Bath? Bath, Bath. Whichever you prefer, really. But anyway, to uh, Spanish listeners, that is literally Banjo. Um, or to German listeners, I believe it's equivalent to Baden, is it not? Baden, Baden. Bath, Baden. But anyway. Um, so the Bath, the Bath, or the Bath, it was literally named after the fact there was a bath there, you know. It's quite funny, really. Um, now, I don't know. I think the Romans called it somewhere. I think the Romans called it Aquasulis, I believe. Aquasulis. And I think aqua stands for water and solis is something to do with the sun. Because there were the hot waters, hot springs that came up from the ground and enabled you to have a nice warm bath. 
which at the time, and we're talking 2,000 years ago thereabouts, a bit less probably, the Romans probably were missing the Italian summers, you know, they're thinking, oh, it's a bit cold here, isn't it? Down here in the southwest of England, or what they have called it, Angleterra, who knows what they call it. I don't think it was called England at the time because the Angles came much later, didn't they? The Angles came around, I'm going to say 7th century, but I think I'm way off on that. But they were after the Romans. Yeah, the Romans had already come along, they built the roads and everything, and then uh, uh, I think as Rome kind of collapsed around, are we talking 6th, 7th century AD? I've probably got my dates completely wrong. But anyway, the point is, the Romans came and they left. You know, typical people just come in and take our jobs build our roads and they leave again bloody Italians anyway I think I've got over that happened a long time ago what people don't realise and why should they is that our current understanding is that the islands that we call Britain and Ireland I'm being very politic here because you have to uh, Britain and Ireland and all the other smaller islands that are around Britain and Ireland um, they were once part of a fairly substantial peninsula which would have stretched out way into the Atlantic Ocean we're talking something like 20,000 years ago. You could have walked way out into the Atlantic Ocean. You could have walked across the English Channel, which wouldn't have been a channel. It would just been a valley. And you could have walked around. I'd love to see an artist's impression of all this, by the way, or an artist's map. It'd be fantastic. But basically where the North Sea is was mostly... Um, that was one big, uh, one big plain except for right up towards Norway where there was this fairly giant uh, sort of river which would have skirted the coast of Norway and then what happened is all the ice melted and um, and uh, a lot of other things happened and basically we're in the world we are today with the with the sea having risen by, I want to say 30 metres about that, possibly a bit more, because of the because of the ice melting. Must have been a lot of snow. Must have been a lot, a lot of ice, really, um, for that to happen. But it all melted, and then uh, we end up in the situation we're in today. It all drained down into the into the valleys. I mean, we're talking. It must be massive glaciers when you think about it. Assuming the amount of water on the Earth has stayed exactly the same, which is not a bad assumption. I can't imagine it's, it would have increased or decreased that much. You think about a thirty meter rise in ocean levels. That's across. I think the oceans cover about what? How much is it? About seventy percent of the Earth. About three quarters, three quarters, two thirds, three quarters of the earth. And all of that ice hitherto would have had to be on the land, wouldn't it? For it to melt, go into the, uh, to the oceans and then 
why is the oceans and there'd be a bit of expansion but that's not going to be huge i wouldn't have thought or maybe it was maybe the temperatures of the water were so much lower that the slight expansion was enough to raise raise the water levels i don't know i don't know about the calculations or the maths of all this but all i'm saying is it's quite impressive they believe there was a catastrophic glacial um problem around about uh, sort of Dover which caused to a collapse and caused to uh, an opening up of that area um, that, I mean I'm, I'm talking gibberish now aren't I but anyway something happened and we ended up with the world we live in today 20,000 years later and the scientists will correct the numbers on that but you know I'm trying to give you a rough idea about our past. Now it turns out also they believe that many other parts of the world may have been at one point land which today are now part of the ocean crust. So it's all very interesting what's gone on. We seem to have been a lot drier world than we are now and uh, I can't even imagine how big all these glaciers must have been. They must have been massive to have really uh, taken all the water up in such a way. Something you can't really imagine. So we're in a relatively warm period now and um, you'd say that humans have sort of prospered quite well in this warm period but that's getting a little bit too warm isn't it? You know and uh, the majority of that warming has been caused really in the last 200 years. Quite a rapid change because of uh, us putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere now. You might think that climate change is something we just found out about, isn't it, just a few weeks ago. Oh, just a few weeks ago. Oh yeah, it's still controversial though, isn't it? Not really. If you uh, actually look at the history of it, uh, the first person to propose carbon dioxide as being a slightly dangerous uh, gas vis-a-vis global warming or at least to think that there might be a problem was Arrhenius. Arrhenius showed that carbon dioxide had a way of trapping heat. He did some experiments and he showed, oh yeah, that's really interesting. Um, when I put carbon dioxide in this tube and I try to put heat through it, it seems to have some sort of way of trapping that heat. I'm sort of paraphrasing his work a bit. But that was 200 years ago. Um, around the same time, uh, there's another guy, German guy, um, uh, whose name now escapes me. He was German, he was a von something. And anyway, he came down Latin American way, again about 200 years ago, and he was looking around, and eventually he looked he got got up a mountain and looked across the valley and he said look over there that's interesting he said there's snow on the top of that mountain yet you go down to the bottom of it it's tropical rainforest what's going on there and he said it's almost as though the earth were a living breathing organism and so he came up with the gaia hypothesis later popularised by uh, James Lovelock um, and um, Humboldt was his name 
Yeah, it came, I knew it would come to me like a bolt, like a hum and a bolt. Came to me in my head. And um, so anyway, so that was really how we got the modern idea of the environment. And of course, also how we figured out that carbon dioxide was potentially uh, good at holding heat. But you remember this was back in the time when we've not really at that point put a lot of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Subsequently, with various industrial revolutions around the globe, we've put an awful lot of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, primarily because for that time, a large proportion, more than 90% of the energy, the electricity, petroleum, all sorts of things, has been fossil fuel based and... Uh, when you burn a fossil fuel, it contains carbon and that converts to carbon dioxide. And that's what's causing, principally, our global warming. Another small secondary effect as well is that uh, when you do the mining of fossil fuels, you also release a lot of methane into the atmosphere. And that methane is also um, globally warming. So those are the main two gases. There were a few others, but those are the main two cause a wonderful earth to get warmer and warmer um should we be worried about this why should we be worried about it you might say well, you know it'd be nice to have slightly warmer weather it gets a bit cold and chilly sometimes um but we're not really talking about weather as such we're talking about climate which is different from weather weather is like you know it's nice nice and warm today well yesterday was a bit cold whereas climate is really a longer term thing it's like um last year was a bit warmer than the year before for example or the last decade was warmer than the decade before that so we're talking about changes in the uh, overall uh system if you like system level effects as they call them and uh, we're seeing that and i think i don't think we really need to make this argument anymore because many people will say oh goodness me 40 degrees heat in london are you having a laugh or in certain parts of the states for example i think death valley it's been up um over 50 you know so we're getting very hot and quite alarming temperatures and uh, the other thing to say about that is that we're not talking about these temperature changes happening all over the world at the same time what we're saying is the average temperature is going to go up by maybe just a little bit of a degree each year. But what that means is the overall trend is upwards and certain areas get a lot warmer than other areas. A good example of that is the, the North Pole. So if you go to the North Pole, different from the South Pole, there's no landmass for the North Pole, it's actually a sea. It's the Arctic Sea, really, but it's just frozen over because it just so happens that um, it's cold enough there for there to be some permanent ice. Well, it used to be, but what's happening now is that during the summer, all of that ice is going completely. So we, I think we, a few years ago, we had the first year in which during the summer there was absolutely no ice whatsoever in the North Pole. You can check that. And you've all seen the pictures of of uh, polar bears, poor polar bears who live on the ice 
have had their habitat disrupted and so they've been one of the losers from this global warming. Now you might wonder, what, why has that happened? Because surely the North Pole it freezes back over in the winter and then it melts again. How does that happen so quickly? Well, there's this process which we call positive feedback. We're using the word positive for you, not in the sense, oh, it's really good. No, we're using positive in the sense that it, it's, uh, it feeds back on itself. So as soon as you put in a change to something, that leads that system to change quicker. And in the case of the North Pole, there's a thing called the albedo effect. A-L-B-E-D-O, I believe. Albedo. And it's quite very simple, really. It's, it's simply, um, you've known this from your um, school school days of physics. Darker surfaces tend to absorb more uh, more light, more heat, than lighter surfaces. Now, the, the sea itself is quite dark. If you ever look at a satellite image of the sea, it tends to look quite dark unless there's some sort of reflection of the sun. If you look at uh, ice, however, it's white. So it, white ice will tend to uh, tend to reflect back the light. However, what happens if you've got quite thin ice is it will melt quite quickly and then you'll have more sea exposed to the sun. And that greater area of sea will absorb more light and that will therefore melt more ice. So we have this like I say, a positive feedback loop, as it's called. And that's um, one of the things why we're particularly worried about what's happening. Now, some of you will say, well, that's quite a positive thing because it's opening up the sea. It means you can now navigate from basically Newfoundland all the way over to uh, Archangel, I think, would be the port. So you can you can go around the top of of the uh, of the earth which is pretty incredible when you think about it so but also quite alarming you know if you consider that about 100 years ago was it Shackleton was the first wasn't Shackleton was it it was the Norwegian guy who got there first but anyway we uh, we managed to get to the North Pole and that was such a ridiculous amount of energy to do that and now there is no North Pole for certain times of the year if I'm reading everything correctly so it's literally ocean so this opens up a whole bunch of um, problems one might say also opportunities the reason we're worried about climate change is because if it changes really quickly, then the concern is that we may not be able to deal with it, you see. Um, these sudden changes, we're talking about increased energy in the atmosphere. And what that means is there's more energy, basically there's more evaporation of water, there's going to be more rainfall, more precipitation, as they call it, around the world globally. But also that evaporation effect is going to be more violent as well so you might get some times of year when you get droughts and sometimes when you get floods or even the same time of year just a small change in what's going on with the atmospheric and ocean dynamics and suddenly you've got this swinging from one extreme to the other 
and that's why I think most scientists and uh, most people really should be a bit worried about climate change, that increased energy that we can not really control so much and the effects that that causes. Another key thing is land use change. We've been changing land a lot. We've been deforesting, for example. We've also been building cities, um, monocropping. All these different factors decrease biodiversity. And you might say, well, who cares? You know, lose a few plants here and there. But that biodiversity that we're losing um, is quite important, really, because it uh, has been around for a while. And it's been stabilising the local environment. There is this feedback between the uh, the biodiverse ecosystems that we have and the local climate and um, so we should be a bit worried about that as well that we haven't we've sort of lost the resilience of our land to what's coming um, so where do we end up well if we're not really careful, if we carry on getting rid of all the vegetation that exists in the world, I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit, but if, we, if we're starting to to really get rid of ecosystems, then what we're left with is um, very shallow topsoil, which doesn't really isn't really able to sustain anything, and could be quite difficult to reverse the effects of that once we've done it. So that's really what uh, I wanted to talk about so I've been talking in this uh, quite strange voice I don't know where it's come from but it's just the mood I'm having today and I got into quite a serious topic about climate change um, I'm trying to make these podcasts about 30 minutes so we're almost at the end of today's session what have we learnt well We've learned that basically the climate is something very precious that we need to take care of. How can we take care of it? Well, we've got to really think about stopping emitting and burning stuff, uh, which emits carbon dioxide into the atmosphere principally. We need to think about alternatives and really need to move towards those alternatives as quickly as, as we can. And then the other thing is we need to really think about the way we're using the land. Yeah. Because the land is designed to be fertile. I think, don't know what the number is, but I think a fairly large percentage of the land on the earth is controlled in some way by human beings and much of it for irrigation of crops to feed ourselves. Is that an effective system going forward? Can we design a better system? I believe we can what I would call ecosystemic farming which is basically low-till agriculture which means you don't till the soil a lot um, it's permaculture you might have heard that word it's a permanent agriculture and also just designing the way that we live a bit better I mean how many people in the really hot weather that we get some from time to time you know suddenly they oh god I need air conditioning well, you wouldn't need air conditioning if your building was designed to use more passive techniques, as they call them, 
it was basically built as buildings used to be to be extremely uh, how can I put it energy efficient they say bioclimatic in this part of the world it means basically that the building is designed intrinsically to be to stay at a fairly good temperature based on local conditions so that's something that we we need to be doing a lot more of as well okay i've gone uh, two and a half minutes over so i'm going to stop there